1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of Renew Economy and also the associated websites TheDriven.io and One Step Off The Grid. Joining me as usual is ITK Principal David Leach. David, trust you are well.
2: I'm well, Giles. I trust you're also well and our listeners are all well and enjoying the world of electricity. It's on fire this week, but uh, so, is, so is our special guest. <laughs> well, not quite the same way, unfortunately. um
1: Yes, a, a bit distressing to hear the or see the images. Well, hear the news, and particularly see the images uh, about the Victoria Big Battery just started testing on last Thursday. By Friday, a fire had sprung up in one of the megapack containers. Went to another one. That's two out of two hundred and twelve. Um, not a good look for the industry. Um, we probably don't know much about it, David, and can't really make any sensible remarks. Apart until we can actually find out what happened and why, and why that can actually stop it. Um, I guess it's fair to point out that um, all technologies have teething problems quite often. We've seen a coal plant just sort of um, go boom up in Queensland um, recently. But um, if anyone's looking to knock batteries, and uh, we've certainly seen pl- plenty of that, then uh, that's one image that can probably help their cause.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And there's been other fires in, in batteries uh, overseas in in America, not necessarily the same manufacturer, as you say. There's not much more we can say about that. But uh, our guest this week, uh, uh, Jeff Dutalis, uh, from uh, the biggest renewable energy, purely renewable energy business in the land, uh, has got a plenty to say about lots of stuff, doesn't he?
1: He does indeed. And let's have a listen to Jeff Dutalis, the Chief Executive of POWER. Jeff Chitales, uh, Chief Executive of Power Renewables. Um, thanks for joining the Energy Insiders uh, podcast, Jeff. And look, please, I'm a bit confused about the name of this new company. Is it Power Power Renewables? Um, you better enlighten us. Uh,
3: thank you, Giles, and and my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Um, it is Powering Australian Renewables in long form, um, which is a bit of a mouthful. But uh, POWER for short, P-O-W-A-R, it's simply a shortened acronym for us to kind of do it eloquently in print, nothing more than that. And so what's happened today
1: basically is that um, you, the, the deal that saw the joint takeover of Tilt Renewables has been completed power now takes tilts australian assets which includes um a pretty good portfolio of operating wind farms and the pretty interesting development portfolio and the new zealand assets um go elsewhere back to new zealand
3: yeah correct in, at the headlines um giles for yourself and david it won't be lost on you that you know power is a um is consolidating its position as number one owner and operator of wind and solar generation in australia so You know, that's with the combination of power and tilt now that consolidates that role. And more importantly, uh, we've got an enviable uh, development pipeline um, to prosecute. And even just as importantly or arguably more important capability in the tilt team um, who are very capable, highly skilled, experienced, demonstrable track record in delivery in Australia and New Zealand and And we can't wait to combine the businesses.
2: Mm. It's it's such a nice group of employees. You've decided to move down to Melbourne to join them, I hear.
3: I have, David. Um, I've made that commitment. I mean, the Tilt business is based in Melbourne. Um, I will be relocating there for certainly the foreseeable future to lead the business from there. The only challenge I've got, of course, is getting into Victoria in this COVID situation we find ourselves. Hmm.
1: So you've got people like Dion Campbell and his team, you're, you're keeping them on to, to, to basically run the Tilt side of the business?
3: Yeah, at the headline level, um, Dion is uh, stepping down as the Tilt CEO and, and i become the CEO of the combined business. The rest of the Tilt team and the power team, for that matter, um, will be combined into one team, um, no changes. You know, the okay. functional structure of the Tilt business uh, stands. Um, and we'll be one uh, happy, bigger family.
1: So, so, so Dion, Dion stays with the company, or not? he's going back to.
3: Oh, Dion is. Um, Dion's agreed to stay on and, and assist with the integration tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's been a you know, arm's length transaction, and up until this point, we haven't really been able mm-hmm. to get under the hood. So, there's a lot of detail I need to understand. So, Dion's going to assist me, kind mm-hmm. of understand at kind of the chief executive level. So he will be staying on for, for for several months. Is the is the arrangement, okay. and assisting me to as as need.
1: Well, as you mentioned, there's a pipeline of projects out there. What's going to be your first priority?
3: First priority, uh, we'll come back to integration, but first priority is people. Um, hence your conversation about the team or question. But on from a development perspective or assets, um, as per our announcement, we will be moving forward for a final investment decision on Rye Park, which is imminent. Um, The tilt business has announced obviously the offtake for Rye Park with Newcrest previously. we're keen to get that one over the line. Um, And as per your previous conversations uh, even with Dion last year, I mean, the pipeline's got optionality in it. We've got a diverse pipeline where we can bring that forward to the market as circumstances suit. It's no secret that New South Wales is uh, an attractive region within the NEM. So Liverpool is well and truly in our sights. Uh, we'd like to, to get that going um, uh, off the back of Rye Park. Um, Wadi in WA, we'd like to see that as, as an entry kind of point for the business in WA. And then the rest of the pipeline we will look at, um, whether it's in Queensland, New South Wales, or Victoria or South Australia. We'll, we'll have to find a different
2: Jeff, we'll have to find a different word other than pipeline, I think. But uh, just to give (laughs) listeners uh, a bit of uh, uh, context here, I think the existing portfolio of tilt and uh, power combined, the new power, if you like, the existing assets, are something a bit over 1,300 megawatts uh, of capacity, uh, the vast majority of which is wind. And then Rye Park's about 400 megawatts, uh, of which I think, and you can remind me if I'm wrong about this, uh, it's about half of it's already been sold on a PPA. Is that, is that right?
3: Correct, David. No, thanks for the prompt. Um, yeah, the operational assets uh, bring together the, the 800 megawatts on the power side and, and just over 500 on the tilt side for to, to that combined 1,300 with Rye Park, as I say, uh, about to commence, he says optimistically, that's 400 megawatts, which will take us up to 1,700. Um, put that alongside a development pipeline in in the order of three and a half gigawatts. Uh, you know, that's that's what the combined business looks like on an asset base.
2: Yeah, and I think Liverpool range is one of a, a series around Australia of uh, next size up. Uh, wind complexes. I think the you were talking about 1, 1,300 megawatts for that if it was all done at once. Um, let me... And Rye Park and Liverpool range are both uh, in New South Wales. Um, I guess the development of those is partly dependent on the New South Wales uh, roadmap, or maybe not in Rye Park uh, case, to, how do you see your development uh, fitting in with the New South Wales roadmap?
3: Yeah, well, the, the roadmap, uh, sorry, New South Wales uh, roadmap gives us optionality. I mean, Liverpool um, has approvals in place to kind of um, certainly do the the first stage of kind of 600 megawatts-ish. But, you know, Liverpool has um, much more capacity than that. And it comes down to transmission, which I'm sure we'll get on to. So... Yeah, we welcome the New South Wales roadmap, the res zone, obviously the central west of Rana. I mean, technically at the moment, uh, Liverpool is just on the the edge of that, uh, but the connection point is within or one of the connection options, the connection points is within it. So we don't necessarily need the roadmap to prosecute Liverpool, but it gives us optionality to, to bring it forward in a different way and make it bigger, of
2: course. I, 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 let ask we'll talk some more about transmission i'm I'm sure, and ESB reforms, but i guess I'm interested in the business as a business and um, integrating all that, making everyone happy and wanting to work for the team and so on. that's obviously very important. But uh, when I look at it, it's a bit of a um, uh, 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 like all of these things it's a, it's a lot of assets thrown together what's the difference between a lot of assets and a business (laughs) Uh, that is to say you know how do you start extracting some synergies from the fact that you've got all of these assets i mean you've got uh, what are sales do you know do you do you have uh, plans to get a retail license Uh, um, what about the relationship with agl why don't you talk a little bit just about how, how you plan to turn it in go from a collection of assets into a into a business
3: Yeah, thanks, Dave. Now the the first point, um, and this echoes, you know, one of Tilts' values and and also stated values, and also powers. Yeah, the business is people-powered. It's people-centric. People make a business. Um, People are the ones who run a business. People are the ones who manage the assets on a day-to-day basis. They're the ones who sit opposite a customer to make sure they're happy. It's all about the people. So yeah, that's why you know the first. Top of my list on integration is all people aspects and, and moulding that into a, a fully functioning team. And that, that team is already very good um, and very experienced and very skilled. So I can't, un- I, I can't understate how important that is to, for me to focus on on that. On an assets basis, we will, like you've seen as renewable energy businesses have matured, um, the likes of InfoGen and now with the driver of course and others, you Increasingly, you move out of a developer mindset of a, a project-centric world and, and start thinking in a portfolio sense. So, your yeah, energy business, uh, you know, think in a portfolio sense. So, you're supplying a product to your customers, not necessarily directly from a single project, but from a portfolio. Um, and it'll come back to kind of at, at the moment we have a number of projects which are obviously contracted at the you know, directly to the project. Uh, or assets, I should say, but we will move into a portfolio thinking where we are supplying not just variable green electrons. We want to move into supplying firm green electrons at a cost-competitive price. So that brings with it the need to mature our capability in an asset sense where we we need to get storage into the portfolio, we need to get flexibility capability in portfolio, and importantly, the customer and energy markets aspect to continue to grow that skill base again, uh, which is also within the tilt business already.
1: I was wondering whether um, we can, um, I think uh, David's interested in talking about transmission, and I guess that might sort of prompt some inquiries about um, ESB. But let's just first just go in a couple of um, moments about the ESB, the headline strategy. What was your reaction to it? A lot of concern here about the um, so-called capacity market, um the design of those particularly with the um with the pwr physical retailer um, uh, reliability obligation not many details on the fine you know of, of what that might actually look like but certainly a lot of concern very little support from anyone in the energy industry apart from energy australia and possibly delta and a couple of the lobby groups um can you just tell me from your point of view as um, a man with a very big development portfolio, what this means for your development business?
3: Uh, well, at Headline, Giles, we, we share those concerns. Um, even more recently, we've had the the likes of the Australian Industry Group coming out and, and not necessarily thinking it's some of the aspects are a good idea. So we, we share that concern. Where that goes to is, you know, denting investor confidence you know we're already seeing that you know development of renewable projects in in this country has stalled you know we've got and so the evidence speaks for itself in in q1 2021 one project 400 megawatts has reached financial close that's the and and i'm pretty certain the data that comes out next week from cc will be close to zero megawatts being financially committed that's the lowest since before 2016. So that kind of tells you that in these, all of these hits that the industry is taking are denting investor confidence. Um, and investor confidence is you know, a multi-pronged um, beast. But, you know, it starts with having removing uncertainty um, and having something you can invest into for, for decades. You know, these, they're investment decisions that go for you know, 20 and 30 years yeah if you're at the risk of someone changing the rules once you've made an investment decision, um, you know, that's you know, that's not going to be supported. Investors will either stall, stop, or go somewhere else. What so are you going to do with something pretty-
1: like... What- what are you gonna do with something like Rye Park then? You're talking about you've already got a contract, you've got a you've got yeah. an offtake. you've got new crest mining, um you presumably you're trying to raise finance, you're talking about all these projects being stored, can you still go ahead with these rules looming over the horizon? Or do you have to wait and see how it actually settles?
3: Oh Rye Park we, we we're comfortable with. Um and it was uh, you know, that, that that project was um progressed in a in a different sort of context. What it will make us do is um, consider you know, when we bring our portfolio of development opportunities, because we invest across the NEM. So then you, you'll get into the state-based um, support mechanisms. So we'll look at them on a on an investment basis um, more at that scale. It also talks to you know, scale is one thing. Quality, if arguably, is more important. We, you, we not only have a scale aspect to the pipeline. We have a quality aspect. Rye Park and Liverpool, for example, are both well located in the network, mm. um, and so they're, they're great opportunities to prosecute um, when others may he- hesitate in terms of their investment decisions. So we, we're confident on those two. We're obviously, diversifying into to WA, um, it's a different market. Yeah, so we'll consider that. You know, we've got options within our pipeline to address that
2: uncertainty. And so, Jeff, um, I guess I'll come back to a different sort of question, uh, which is the shareholding structure. Do you think all of your owners are fully aligned at the moment? I mean, most of um, historically power started out, if you like, uh, with a bunch of AGL assets that uh, uh, essentially the ownership was transferred into power. But the operations and the and the output all went go to AGL. Tilt has a much more diversified customer base, and I'm wondering how you. I mean, I could ask this question in a lot of ways, but I think the easiest, maybe the most easiest way to ask it is, how do you see the demand for a project like Liverpool Range or the other half of Rye Park? Do you think there are still plenty of customers out there, or are you going to end up selling it back to AGL?
3: Um... Pick it off in in the two bits. You know, first of all, talk about the um, the partners and the investors, and, and the answer to that is unequivocally yes. Um, and then, I mean, on the second, which I'll again, I'll come back to. Yeah, you know, I, I see nothing but opportunity in, in the customer landscape. So, first of all, on the partners, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, AGL and QIC and Future Fund came together, you know, to form Power and. I got nothing but good things to say about that partnership and their behaviour. I mean, as you two well know, I, I, I put my hat, hat in the ring to stay around as the as the CEO middle of last year because I saw that the, the huge opportunity now that it had kind of consolidated. It's what I term as the foundation assets, which were, were generated in, by the AGL development team. So AGL have been enormously support, supportive as a partner, and I see no reason or, or believe that's going to change. Um, what is important for all the investors is that we have a diversified customer book. Um, and, you know, that's an AGL in that regard is a very important customer and, and as well as being a strategic partner of power. You know, that diversified customer book is in the interest of all our investors uh, and that won't change. So when you start to look at the new crests of the world or the Victorian government or Aldi for that matter, who have a, a small slice of, of Dundonald. You know, they're all important customers. I think the important thing to then move on to is you've seen that migration of the customer base for renewables move from the traditional retailers, driven by the RET, of course, um, into now what we're seeing is customers voting that they want not only competitively priced electricity, but they want clean as well as reliable. That's what I think we're well placed to deliver
2: and let's uh just uh, as you look at the development obstacles at the moment for for um uh let's talk about liverpool because i, I and you know you are a very wind centric business uh uh it seems to me and uh, uh but anyway that's that's something else if liverpool's the next project off the range in the nem uh what what do you see as the issues that that project will have to overcome to to get to go ahead and you know uh, what's what's the timeline that you're looking at for that one?
3: Yeah, well, in one of your comments there, David, I think some of my um, industry colleagues will challenge you on it being the next project in the NEM. Um, but the I mean, in terms of a gigawatt scale, absolutely, we're really excited, and it can be more. Yeah, if you go through the classics um, checklist of a, you're getting a development project up, it's you know land planning, connection, offtake, um, and you go from there. So. Land, secured, I'm uh, talking about Liverpool in this context. You know, connection, it's progressing. Um, you know, there's engagements, uh, engagement with TransGrid, of course, in terms of what the first stage would look like and, and potentially what the bigger scheme would look like. So connection is, is good. Um, you know, then the planning environment, there's a planning process to go through. We've got a planning um, approval in place for the first stage we would look to, to kind of prosecute that while we also consider what stage two might look like. Um, and I hasten to add that you, we are very focused on it, not just being an, a, a big wind farm. Um, we want it to be, have a, a hybrid. So whether that involves an element of solar and certainly storage, um, they're the things we'll start to consider because we, as I was mentioning before, we need to get storage and flexibility capability into the portfolio so, time frame for all of that it's a mega project um, of course but we'd certainly see you know Liverpool come to fruition this side of 2025 um, yeah you know, certainly the first stage uh, if not sooner that's what we'll be focused on very much so after I park
2: and then I might just uh, talk about uh, at, um, we've talked about the ESB uh, reforms as they don't affect the uh, um, or, or how they might affect the, the the coal and the physical reliability, but what about transmission planning uh, and actually connection approvals and all of that sort of thing? I mean, even for Rye Park, I mean, it's, it's got a, the GPS modelling and all of that—the stuff that we've been talking about here lately. Uh, how mm. how are you feeling about? Are, are you happy? <laughs> um,
3: I'll say a qualified, maybe. <laughs> um, I listened with interest to your last podcast with Daniel, of course, last week, and I've had another conversation with Daniel, or was part, part of it. Um, who would want to be the market operator, right? I mean, it's, it's a really challenging role. Um, Daniel described quite openly the challenges in front of um, AEMO, and they've got their core role, but they've also got big challenges in terms of the, of the, of the transmission. But maybe pick that off a bit, I'll break it down. The first priority we've got in terms of bringing renewables into the NEM and into the system is transmission. There is, um, no, as the phrase goes, there is no transition without transmission. It's the first priority. We, we, we cannot get the transmission that's outlined in the ISP soon enough, and that's interstate and intrastate. And that, that agenda is well laid out in the ISP. Now it's a, it's a process of getting through that, the recent experience with Project Energy Connect shows that, you know, the process for investment decisions is not fit for purpose under the RIT-T test. Um, also, the other example which people love to use is, is Northwest Victoria. Victoria is making decisions to get on with that transmission because the state of Victoria needs it, and it's going to take too long through current channels. So transmission, you know, the time frame we've got to deliver the trans transmission that will suit the timing of new renewables coming online for the impending retirement of the coal-fired power stations. My re- One of my really big concerns from a system perspective is that we're not going to get there quick enough with that transmission and the new renewables to replace the coal retiring coal fleet and we're going to be caught in the middle where that's you know, the volatility is when you know, we have more exits than supply coming forward and, and that's a Really scary proposition in terms of what we can deliver for consumers. So transmission number one is really worried, Worries me. Aemo, as I said, Daniel was quite open in terms of the challenges they've got, and I think he rattled off some numbers that you know they've they've done one hundred and twenty-one. I was scribbling it down before one hundred and twenty odd connections in four years. You know, thirty odd of those in in twenty twenty. Um, so that's a significant number of megawatts. And, David, you've, you've talked on these podcasts about the number of megawatts coming into the system or proposed. That's a hell of a lot of connections. And the connections, again, as Daniel uh, mentioned, but we're involved in the Connections Reform Agenda Initiative, is about a collaborative effort to you know, work through those issues to make that connection process better. So it removes the uncertainty and and some of the questions that you you put to Daniel, which is, you know, real life behaviour versus the modelling that then goes into the GPS standards, and what you what you get with your initial approval, and whether that's a changing landscape as you get through your commissioning process, are all concerns that have that have hit all of us in recent years. So they're the kind of things that have got to get better, and and that's a I see that as a key challenge from AEMO, from a capacity and a capability perspective as capacity, number of connections and capability in terms of the expertise. Daniel, I'm not saying anything that Daniel doesn't know about.
2: No. uh, um, Look, I I feel I'm monopolising all the questions here, but I mean, um, I, I think I wrote somewhere that I expect you guys to have about $250 million of EBITDA Uh, that's going to be uh, a pretty significant business, you know, once rye parks developed. Uh, I um, I, I guess my question really is, do you see more consolidation going on? We've seen already AGL, uh, as has been discussed, emerging. Um, uh, We've seen uh, Infogen and Ibridola getting together. Uh, it, it, there seems to be quite a consolidation in the market and, and you guys are still out there in front. Has um, that process got further to go in your opinion?
3: Yeah, I think it does, David. I mean, the evidence speaks for itself. I mean, in addition to the ones you've mentioned, you've you've obviously got Shell investing in, in ERM. That's a few years ago now, but also in Esco more recently. You know, the, the, the big players... Uh, you know there's different agendas behind all of this, of course, but they're all moving into renewables. And increasingly, you need scale to be able to, to, to deliver for customers, let alone get the big projects up. You, you need to have a track record. You need to be a good counterparty. Um, all of those things that go with being a you know, solid energy business. Um, so we go through, we always go through waves of consolidations um, in industry. You and I have been around long enough to kind of see that's from the early two thousands. So, I, I think that'll continue. There will be players that kind of fall by the wayside, and there will be players that kind of get get bigger.
2: Yeah, through I, acquisition I
3: that- and organic.
2: I'll hand back to Charles, but I, the the, uh, the observation always coming out of the share market is it's the second and third owners that make all the money. But over to you, Giles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's quite true. Hey, Jeff, um, battery storage. Um, so we, um, I'm, I'm interested to know which projects um, you have as a priority. Um, I'm also interested to know what you make of the ESB proposals and how that might actually affect the um, the case for battery storage I mean you talked about it being necessary for affirming product for your own customers who are looking for renewables so Tilt had a bunch of storage projects in the pipeline they had quite a big one proposal at Trove Valley they were talking about the smaller one behind the meter at Snowtown but were a bit frustrated by the behind the meter rules I don't know whether that's been adequately addressed in the new rules put forward by the AEMC which of the storage projects that you're looking at seem most likely at this stage? And what's on timeline?
3: Um, the timeline is as soon as we can, Giles, to tell you the truth. I mean, on, on, with both teams, we were, were exploring storage um, opportunities, and, and that's not just batteries. Uh, we can get into a broader conversation around, you know, lithium ion batteries are very good up to kind of two hours, but we need other other technologies to help us, you know, pumped hydro included. So it's about storage more generally. So we're exploring all of those. Um, you'll be aware there's a, there's a RIT-T test happening at Broken Hill at the moment. And, and one of the options on the table is compressed air, of course. You've also got solar thermal, various schemes being touted around that, which is a obviously provides a dispatchable, renewable resource. So there's different ways, and we will, we are and will continue to look at those. In terms of the priorities for us, um, again, no secrets, but the, the Snowtown battery, uh, for all sorts of reasons, to do with a, the connection process or the approval process for a behind-the-metre behind battery, it just is, is not cost-effective. So that one's been paused. Um, more broadly, we consider every asset, we've got a connection point with a prospective battery sitting there. So we've looked at those battery opportunities at each of the power assets and the Tilt team similarly on the other side. So we will we will look to the, the battery opportunities that have been flagged by Tilt in their portfolio to pursue um, and not so much uh, publicly because we haven't had to. But yeah, on the power side, we'll look to prosecute storage opportunities at our assets as well.
1: sorry you're talking about rye park and liverpool Plains.
3: no no no. i'm I'm talking about the ones you meant, like latrobe and yeah we've got the tilt portfolio has got you know storage opportunities identified and and we certainly will pursue those
1: oh i I thought Uh, you said that there there, there was opportunities at rye park within the power oh sorry not with rye park but within the power portfolio so i just presumed you're looking at battery storage at common connection points so would rye park necessarily have a battery to go with it
3: um, not in the short term, because it's at, at the moment, um, we'll certainly look at it longer term. But at the moment, mm. our, the first thing we're going to do is is get the, the wind farm up.
0: Okay. When
3: I referred to the power portfolio, sorry, Giles, I was referring to you know Cooper's Gap, um, obviously Silverton and Broken Hill and um, Ningan Solar Farm are all yeah. connection points which can be leveraged.
1: Okay, you you mentioned them compressed air, and that's been this proposal for Broken Hill. So you guys would actually sort of take over that you would be the developer. I mean, you've got a different technology provider. I'm, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by this because it's something which sort of sounds very very interesting, but hasn't really been deployed at large scale yet.
3: Yeah, it's it's one of those categories. So um, no, we're not the developer at the moment. We're we're talking with the the proponent. And, you know, we're working our way through that process. I mean, the rit process has got a way to go and it's a whole other conversation as to what the preferred solution is out there. And it's not just about storage. It's about reliability for Broken Hill and a number of other things, which is why it's not a, just a, a straight cut decision as to what you do out there. Hmm, but okay. um, compressed air is um, demonstrating its, its credentials not ju- uh, like overseas. So it's a, it's a technology that's on our radar to to look at to invest in and bring right. into the portfolio okay
1: can we maybe just get back to, and just, thought, just talk, you talk about the Snowtown battery, um, we had a previous conversation with Dion Campbell where he was talking about the frustrations of that behind the meter and really the rules made, made it very, very hard and basically uneconomic. There were new proposals put forward by the Australian Energy Market Commission. Do Have you had a chance to look at those and work out whether they go in any way to help address um, the problems created um, with, with the behind the meter storage?
3: rules? I, the short answer is, um, and a quick answer, Charles is, they go towards a solution. I don't think they're there yet because I mean they haven't been debated fully yet. What the the Snowtown and other proposals are behind the meter, so we're not the only one who's tried this or trying. So it's it's highlighted that the current um, framework for putting it behind the meter battery, which makes sense to firm renewables and dispatch it when you need it. Um to a degree, it makes sense. Mm. So we it's an element again of changing the the rules that aren't fit for, uh, no longer fit for purpose to allow that kind of thing to make renewable projects firmer and more dispatchable. Um, mm. and and that's just to, from an energy perspective, and of course there's also being able to use them for essential services system services. Mm. So I, do, I don't what, think they're there yet, but they're on the table, which is great. Okay,
1: Yeah. And just, just on battery storage, I mean, um, David mentioned at the start of the podcast, the uh, fire at the Victoria big battery. We don't really know what's caused this yet, and we may not know for a while, but um, the picture's probably on a very good look. Um, what do you think this means for battery storage? I mean, it does it? Is it just another... Incident. I mean, it's not as though other technologies don't have incidents. I mean, we had a coal-fired power station just sort of explode um, a couple of months ago, and um, of course, you know, fossil fuel cars and petrol stations occasionally t- um, catch a light. But um, what, what what do you think this um, might have as a, in terms of impact yeah. on the on the industry?
3: Um, I think that the context you just mentioned, Giles, is really important. I mean, it, it's easy for the detractors of renewables or batteries to say, "Look at that; it's never going to work." Um, you know, large infrastructure does have its challenges at time. And as you said, you know, Calide up in Queensland or whether you talk, want to talk about um, your lawn down in Victoria and, and a myriad of other things that have happened over decades. You know, incidents do happen. Um, the important thing, I think, uh, coming the lessons learned out of this one will be really important. You know, what, you know, so therefore you go back to the root cause any, when any, anything happens, you know, why did that, why did that, what caused the fire, what went wrong, uh, was it a, a technology issue, a human issue, human error issue? Is it systemic? Um, is it a serial defect? And, and only then will we learn the lessons. But we'll definitely learn the lessons out of it in terms of making, you know, the, the, the batteries we bring out next um, better, just like we learn the lessons in terms of the maturation of gas generation, coal-fired generation, wind turbines, solar panels it's it's all the same journey so i think the broader context is really important to, before we critique one particular incident
2: yeah I, I think the most important uh issue of all is what uh, you know if it wasn't covered by insurance of course uh <laughs> uh, yeah. uh look jeff i think we've uh we yeah uh, we've we've covered off uh power fairly well uh, it's you know before the two businesses are even uh, before we, in the seat really and brought together uh, it, um, it's the biggest renewable developer in australia at the moment uh, there's a uh, bunch of guys following along pretty hard on the heels and with uh, assets uh, in development themselves and i think we're all going to get bigger and the projects are getting big, bigger and the business is getting more mature but it's been uh, great to hear about the progress of, of power and uh, uh, we wish you very very well with it all Thanks,
3: David. I, I feel as though we've only just got started on a conversation. So you finally got me onto a podcast and we've only just started. So I really <laughs> look forward to being invited back and maybe to throw this at you, might uh, maybe have a couple of us on a call so we can really get the dialogue going. So, so throw that open to, as a suggestion, but I really appreciate your time, guys.
1: You're welcome to come back on the podcast and um, reveal exclusively because you're not bound by ASX rules or anything like that. You can reveal exclusively your next best big investment on this podcast, and I'd imagine it'd be a, just, you know, just a huge battery storage company by a wind solar project. What do you think, David? Probably put that parcel? Well, I, <laughs> I look forward to that
3: opportunity. <laughs> I think we'll see quite a anyway, bit more going forward. Good on you.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff.
3: No, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it.
1: And that was um Jeff Tutales, the chief executive of Power um, Renewables, Powering Australian Renewables, the um holding the original AGL assets and now the newly acquired TILT assets. Look quite a portfolio. It's still quite remarkable to think that they um are the biggest in the country. I kind of thought that other people might have overtaken them, but um but there you go. Um obviously not happy with the ESB stuff, um, David, and I don't think there's very many people out there who are.
2: Well, I, I think the, uh, all the renewable energy companies, uh, I mean, um, have got their challenges, um, uh, you know, and, and when we measure size, you can measure it a lot of different ways. I think if you looked at companies like Neo and that have got a lot of projects that are not yet fully constructed, you might get a different view. Uh, mm. But what I can say is that, uh, that that bunch of companies are picking up market share all the time. And whilst they've got their own challenges, we can also see that the incumbents have all got their own challenges as well. AGL's uh, uh, tr- troubles have been fairly well uh, publicised to the point they're doing a demerger. Uh, Origin announced this week uh, that their FY22 um, uh, energy markets business is going to be very down in profits in total perhaps half of the previous year before mm-hmm. recovering the following year. And uh, just before uh, coming on this podcast, I was looking to see that Energy Australia uh, has a uh, Uh, is also having a very tough time of it in Australia, which would be no surprise given the floods uh, at your lawn and the weakness in power prices. And so they're doing very badly. Uh, So we've got the three big players are all having a, a heck of a hard time of it and losing market share in the long run.
1: Well, exactly. Um, Something that um, we and other people have probably forecast for some time, but um, didn't seem to be um, visible or predictable from the um, chief executives involved. He sort of continued on. Um, Despite some of your excellent commentary, uh, David, I think you've been pointing out for the last couple of years that um, a change of strategy might have been afoot. And today or this week, that you've actually been um, uh, penned another report. Um, and also written a piece for for Renew Economies saying that um, Origin might well be advised to possibly sell its gas assets while there's still some very eager buyers out there. But these sort of decisions are quite hard for people to make. It's sort of, you know, they're making so much money out of gas. Well, a little bit less than the uh, domestic one, but the offshore one, they're making the LNG stuff. They're making a lot of of money out of it. It's very hard to sort of sell those assets um, when they might get the best price.
2: Look, the oil and the coal and the gas price have had a fantastic recovery in uh, in this calendar year. Uh, coal is up around a couple, a ridiculous price. I've never seen thermal coal. It's pretty much an all-time record. Uh, the oil price is up around, you know, I don't know, US seventy dollars, and it's taken the gas price with it. And it's very hard if you're a producer of one of those commodities uh, to do anything other than take take the money while it rolls in. But uh, you know, I, I think um, if when we turn to Europe, and this is the other big debate, you know, all of us uh, greenies and people who who take climate change seriously always like to look at Europe as an example of good governance leading the way, and we see European utility companies uh, divesting from their coal and their gas assets at a rapid rate of knots, and that they are divesting from gas quite quite quickly. But they actually don't consume all the energy. Uh, The energy is consumed in Asia. uh, If you look at the global global side of things, and the Asian companies at the moment, because they're developing, and because coal and gas have been, particularly coal, has been seen as the staple of how to develop your economy and and to uh, industrialise, they're having to unlearn that history. And start to think about the new way, but I am optimistic uh, that they 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 will get to the landing place that it's best to decarbonise and get rid of the coal and the gas because in the end it will give them a degree of en- energy independence which they love to have. Uh, and they'll end up with uh, cheaper electricity for their consumers. They just have to be convinced because all of those economies, uh, uh energy turning the lights on for those people that actually have it. Remembering last time I looked, there's still about 70 million people in India that don't have any electricity. You, you, you know, you don't want to go to sun and so, solar and wind, and then it doesn't work. That That's not going to look too good in China, would it?
1: Um, no, possibly not, but um, yes,
2: but it does work. It does work. So they just, but they need to get a landing there, and, and so that's 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 where we are on that. And meanwhile, here in Australia, Giles, we've got the uh, ESB has come out with a what I would, uh, what nearly everyone regards as uh, a fairly uh, poor position. That it's an anti-consensus position. That's the way I would put it. I mean, we do need to do something about reliability. But everyone's understood, and uh, we've had Kerry Schott saying that the coal generation's going away. But now it's like she's put her hand up and said, hang on, but we, here's a mechanism whereby it doesn't have to go away. And I cannot see how that's a good outcome for anyone. The coal generators are old and unreliable, and uh, we do need firming uh, power, but we need modern firming power, not, not last century stuff.
1: It's quite fascinating, really, just to sort of see what's going on there. I mean, um, more than half of the existing coal generator owners in Australia don't like the idea of this um, of this particular mechanism. Um, people have pointed out that, um, you know, th- a, a choice was 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 presented um, one or the other by most of the people involved in the markets and they went out and grabbed both of them and they said, well, that's even the worst outcome than actually choosing between one of the two. Um, it just seems to be a lot of ideology just driving this. There's been absolutely no rational reason sort of laid out that sort of argues this in a coherent manner. We don't actually even know the fine details of it. It just seems to be like a statement of intent by um, those that would um, have us slow down the energy transition Um, as much as they possibly can it's um really quite um it's um really quite frustrating for the industry and i I don't think i've ever heard quite so many sort of cries of despair and frustration and um and swearing even on linkedin it's quite yeah it's quite um quite a disappointing outcome on the other hand david we um we did have the interview with daniel westman um last week which was excellent and then the following day um they produced their scenarios for the next version of the integrated system plan Fascinating to see their hydrogen superpower scenario, really a zero emissions grid by 2035, full electrification of transport, rapid electrification of housing, and a lot happening in that sense in industry, green steel and things like that. And most notably about this scenario, even though it didn't actually sort of lay out how to get there, it did actually make it very clear that this scenario and these sort of outcomes are the ones that are necessary to actually Um, avoid the worst consequences of um, rapid global warming and the only one consistent with 1.5 degrees.
2: Yeah, no doubt about that. And those scenarios are going to get a lot of consideration. Um, As you mentioned, the central scenario is the one that the bankers look at. Uh, Fortunately, it's not the only thing they look at. They will also look at other policy initiatives such as the New South Wales roadmap and uh, perhaps even Queensland's 50% renewable target. Uh, scenarios are one thing, but uh you know mechanisms and policies to get you to them uh, are another thing as well.
1: Yes, look, it looks like an effort to sort of change the conversation. I think that's what we actually need in the electricity, uh, Australian electricity industry. And I think that's to, to some extent that's actually sort of happening now. People are talking about the transition, really just about the pace of the transition, but there just needs to be so many roadblocks. The sort of thing mentioned by Jeff Totalis in the interview there, there's, there's a lot that's kind of dissuading. <laughs> there's a lot of capital really be, to be deployed. There's an awful lot of projects sort of queuing up in the pipeline, but there's a lot of um, things which are preventing. Um, investments and you've mentioned connections and there's market rules and the EISB and then there's just the sort of the the obstinacy from the federal government um, overarching everything really.
2: Yeah, well, I'm hopeful actually that the uh, rulemaking bodies by and large, the AEMC in particular and AEMO uh, even more so, uh, they basically have new senior management, new new chief executives and I think those guys uh, uh, have come in with... Uh, an agenda that to try and make things run better, more smoothly than than we've seen in the past. Look, we've, we've, it's a long podcast, Giles, and we shouldn't talk too much longer. Uh, but I'm quite hopeful that once you get through all the polit politics, sort of they have to make all these like s- s- statements about how wonderful thing is and it's all going smoothly. Underneath it all, uh, <laughs> it's something saying Let, let's get the vacuum out and get on with it and clean the house up and make it happen. <laughs> I think I understand that David I think I do
1: but look okay I'm going to take your advice we're going to bring the podcast to the end I do like to thank I uh, would like to thank uh, Jeff Detalis from Power for joining us on the podcast um, or the people out there listening to this podcast thank you very much for your feedback thank you particularly to, to our sponsors um, Evergen and Pylon for your ongoing support um, David I look forward to having another conversation next week in what will no doubt be another interesting week electricity market and the transition in Australia. Bye for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen